I am Doug Friedman. And I am Meredith Levy. And this is Your Mental Breakdown. The podcast. Hi, Dougie. How are you? I'm doing just fine. Okay. Although uh, (laughs) a seemingly small, innocuous thing that just blew my mind, like every now and then something that you thought was one way, like your entire life and turned out to be something completely different. And it seems really small, like as small as, let's say, a raspberry, which is what this is about. You know, you know, raspberries, right? I sure do. I have some in my fridge right now. Do you know how to spell raspberry? R-A-S-P-B-E-R-R-Y. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, right there, right there. R-A-S-P. Yeah. Why do you call it a raspberry if it's spelled a raspberry? You just found out that there's a P in raspberry? I just found out. You've been spelling raspberry wrong the whole lo- your whole life? I don't know if I've ever actually written raspberry. <laughs> you know, and if I have, I write it like I need raspberry, R-A-Z-Z-B-E-R-R, probably even Y, like raspberry. But you didn't actually think you spelled it with a Z, right? No, I, I okay. would think I was kidding, like in okay. saying raspberry, because yeah, I yeah, mean yeah. razzmatazz, you know? Right. But I don't think I ever acknowledged and never really it sunk in that it's spelled raspberry. So weird. Yeah. That's like Connecticut having like Connecticut. But that was like, I remember people saying, oh yeah, he's from Connecticut. Right. Or I'm really happy about Valentine's Day being in February. Right. I cannot believe you just found that out. That is mind boggling. That's what I'm saying. It boggled my mind. Yeah. It did. It did. Yeah. Especially for someone that like loves word games and word things. I I mean, I had, I, I just didn't know. And raspberries. Do you like raspberries? I do like raspberries. <laughs> God. <laughs> what? Is that going to be a thing from now on? It absolutely is. I absolutely is. And like, like the, the Prince song, she wore a raspberry beret. Right. <laughs> come on come on now let's get it right how are you doing over there i'm good i tried to see the uh meteor shower the other night but i couldn't see anything for the 30 seconds that i went outside to look <laughs> and <laughs> right it's funny i saw the i forgot what it's called the desmond or something like that this particular meteor shower But I saw it and I was like, wait a minute. I texted my ex from like years ago. I'm like, didn't we go down to your house in Joshua Tree and watch that one year? He's like, yeah. We laid on the roof of his car. Like they had a house down there, but we wanted to like see it. Right. Right. Watch it. So we laid on the roof of the car and watched it. And it was, I don't know, maybe 15 degrees out. And just, (laughs) it was like dead of fucking winter. I don't know if it was still in October, but whatever it was it was freezing and, um, it was great. It was gorgeous. Amazing. Like mm-hmm. when you're out in the middle of nowhere, but it was freezing. So also, I don't remember what meteor shower that was, but it might've been the same time. I also went to Joshua tree with a couple of buddies to watch that. No way. Yep. Yep. Oh my great God. place to go. Cause it's, it's, I mean, just for, for long, long stretches, there's just darkness. It's the desert and you just look up and it's right. Yeah. I remember being out in uh, in Joshua Tree with uh, with my old dog Franklin, and we were just walking around, and he went like just running off the trail, and, and not even a trail, it was just like outside, right? And he just kind of went running around, just playing around, and he came back kind of whimpering, and he had like 
27 different variants of succulent stuck in him all over the place. It was no. <laughs> yeah, because there's so many different succulents out there. And he just like brushed up against every he had some sticking like in his nose, on his leg, on his on his back, all over the place. And Holy he was shit. fine. But some of them you had to pull them out like with like tweezers, almost almost pliers and just really pull them out. But it it was Jesus. Yep. Remember that uh that uh Heaven's Gate movement, that cult? Yes, they were going to ride on the tail of the comet to heaven or whatever it was called. Yep. That was the the Hale-Bob comet of, I think it was 1997. There was Haley-Bop and then there was Hale-Bob, right? There was like a couple of them, I think. Oh, Bop, not Bob. That's right. Hale-Bop. It's like raspberries. (laughs) (laughs) It's all so confusing. You know what was confusing with another confusion in cult? And this will, this really pissed me off. I got corrected. Something that we talked about, I think a couple weeks ago, Sarah mentioned the the cult, you know, the children of yeah. God and and the leader, David Berg. And I said, oh yeah, but he was yeah, caught yeah. And, and jailed and, and died in jail. No, he didn't. He didn't die in jail. I did not, I did not realize this. He had been in hiding since 1971 and he was on the run, in hiding, and died peacefully. You made that all up? Well, I didn't make it up. I didn't know. I, I, for some reason, I thought he had gotten caught and, and persecuted and prosecuted. Prosecuted? Persecuted? All of those. Both, no. right? No, he got nothing. He got nothing. He got really? to live his, his own life in hiding for 20-something years. Part of what Sarah was talking about, about, you know, we moved country to country and we stayed in these different like houses and they, they That's were right, this, yeah. we communicated this way and we did things that it's because that, that guy was in hiding the whole time and evading capture. I don't think you guys talked about that in the episode. No, I, we probably cut it because it seemed too identifying, yeah. but it's like, well, she has no problem identifying the cult and this guy because this guy's dead now. And the cult right. was large enough that, it, I mean, you won't know who she is by virtue of being in the cult. Many, many people were. There were, you know, tens of thousands of people in the cult. Right. And it's, I don't know, it just really bothered me because I was holding up until I got corrected that he did have to serve and, and there was some justice, some, for what right. he did. But no, there wasn't at all. There were some leaders uh, of it that, that did eventually get imprisoned, but a lot of them have never been caught. And it's so frustrating and it's, it's very upsetting that people get away with all sorts of stuff. It is. You know, and you guys will hear later in this, the session that you'll hear that Sarah goes into that in, in some depth with, you know, some of the repercussions and, and some of what was going on in the aftermath of that for the people that lived through it. And it's, uh, I just, I think my fascination with cults was I couldn't believe that people would do this to other people. And how did they control people so much? And right. so disturbing. It really, really is. It is. I say it every session that I work with her that I think Sarah is just phenomenal for having gone through it and come out of it with such introspection, such such strength and resilience, you know? Yeah, it's amazing. There's a lot there, that's for sure. Let's get out of the way of the session and then we'll come back in your way and break it down for you with our complete Perfect. broken down in this. I've always been very close with my siblings. There's never been like a 
any kind of like animosity right. between others. Absolutely. But never with me. I'm always the peacemaker. Hmm. So I have, I have always had really good relationships with my siblings. And I think they just felt sorry for me. <laughs> Because they were all like, you know, super good looking and super popular. And I'm getting, you know, shoved in lockers <laughs> and stuff. So We never really talked about this, but were you in proper school, like regular schools? Uh, well, the cult, they weren't very much for education. They want to keep any kind of knowledge away. So you have no other choice, right? You don't know any better. So you won't do anything essentially. Mm. So, so we would get like correspondence courses. I remember doing about to a, a sixth, maybe eighth grade level. That was like the, the most education I got. So the cult set up their own charitable foundation, which was a part of it was a school and we we followed a program called like super workbook or something. It's kind it's kind of like a it is literally a correspondence course. So no matter where you went in the world, they would know, okay, you you just finished the fifth grade. And then they were such cheap asses on top of all that that we would spend like whole semesters erasing the books for the next level down to reuse them. So not only were we not learning, we were then able to cheat. I had a desire to learn. For me, I was really trying to apply myself, but most of us, if we left at a young age, left with around a sixth, max eighth grade. I would say sixth grade education. For me, sixth grade. Was it sort of curated in that, I mean, English, okay, sure. But history, social sciences, science? History, they were very picky about. Mm. They only taught what they felt was David Berg, who started this cult. He was extremely racist. You know, the things that they didn't agree with, we were super educated on Christian versions of Right. Why gay is bad and why black people are cursed, which is ridiculous. Did you not know it was ridiculous at the time because it's what you were being force fed? I mean, I know you in particular held on to this deep down. Something's not right with this. Mm-hmm. I don't think you were able to verbalize that much to anybody. To my siblings, I did a lot. And, you know, everyone would be like, shh, don't say, don't say that. But there was a, there was always a part of me, anything that's oppressive always kind of sat funny with me. Their focus was always, oh, the reason for this is because the Bible says, I mean, where do you even get that nonsense from? But this is, this was like what they taught us. I mean, I remember even one time asking my dad, because my dad was the most straightforward with me. He was Mm. the only person in my life who would ever give me a straight answer to anything. And he'd be like, yeah, that's nonsense. Just ignore it. (laughs) That was normally his answer. There's the Bible, and then there's the extreme interpretation of the Bible. But the way they force-fed us anything this lunatic spat out, that was it. That was God telling him, this is how it is. And if you didn't like it, then they basically beat you down until you either just said, okay, okay, okay. You know, I, I believe. 
Right. Or you just like me just stayed quiet and kind of just, just stacking up things that I was like, clearly this is ridiculous around the age of like 11, 12 was when I started going, okay, hold on. That doesn't make any sense. You know, cause I'd heard these stories my whole life. Right. But there comes a time, I think in a, in a young mind where you have a little bit of, uh, wait a second, something's wrong. We talked about it last week. You're somebody I think who prides yourself on autonomy. You just never were able to exercise that as a kid. Correct. Which is why I spent literally a year of my life just learning right. everything I could get my hands on. For you, that process, I mean, you got to find the words for these feelings for me because I, I don't know what it was, if it was relief, if it was frustration, if it was both, if it was this like utter confusion. or. A- so I think first it started as shock and utter confusion. Just like, hmm. how could anybody believe the crap that we were being fed first. Right. Then it was, wow, I have so much I have to do to learn all of the actual stories and the actual history and not warped by anyone's personal agenda. That was my focus after the initial, like, you know, mind blown. How could they be like just blatant lies and deception. I think there's a point for anybody who leaves that cult where there's just a massive confusion. There is actually a very tragic murder suicide that Mm. happened by one of the, well, he was actually the son of the leaders. Mm. When he got out He had a moment like that where everything was just rushing at him. And he was just thinking, what the fuck happened to me as a child? I was told this and told that I was abused. I mean, he was heavily sexually abused, not just sexually abused, but it was documented with pictures. Mm -hmm. Literally, they took pictures of him being abused by a woman and wrote a book about it. And this was published to the cult. Mm. I mean, my, my whole entire life is laced with so much of that kind of tragedy. So many suicides of people who left the cult and just could never quite, they were so off balance, I think. Right. It's a shockingly high number. Like if yeah. 100 people left, 55 of those have committed suicide. Wow. Well, even one of my cousins shot himself in the head. I mean, as we're talking about this, I mean, it's something that you've worked on before. It's been a long time out for you. But there's still, as we look back on you as the teenager, that sort of unraveling of the fabric of your culture, society, your being, yourself, your family, that unraveling is often the unraveling mentally and emotionally of a lot of people. Yes. We talked about it. I've said it to you before. Your strength, resilience, resolve is amazing. How did you not have a version or did you have a version of what some of these other people went through in terms of, fuck this cult, I'm going to shut them down? Or like, how could my parents be complicit in this? I'm going to take it out on them. 
So, so that was the thought. That was the thought which started my whole quest for knowledge. Like, mm. how could my parents be so stupid? <laughs> I, to me, it was unfathomable that an adult, eh, maybe not the most intelligent adult, but an adult <laughs> right. could buy this crap. Cults have ways of slowly bringing you into their nonsense. Mm -hmm. So the parents had years and years of, oh, here's one little thing then. Okay, that, that wasn't so bad. Here's the next little thing. And by the time we came around as kids, they were so far gone that they didn't even know that they were so far gone. And that's what I had to reconcile because especially when I became a parent, that was the first moment in my life where I felt like I needed to pick up the phone and yell at my parents. So even though I was judging them a lot and I, I stopped talking to my stepdad completely, my mom as little as possible, because I, I mean, I do love my mom and in fairness, she was not an abuser. She, she's a good woman, but she still condoned and turned a blind eye to Stuff that was happening, even when we told her what was happening, mm. she'd be like, oh, sweetheart, that no, they would never do that. You know, that kind of stuff. Right. So I always had a bit of a what the hell is wrong with you moment. But when I became a mother and I was like holding my son for the first time, I just was filled with this like powerful rage and sadness and just it made, it made it all so much more, I don't even know the word, um, magnified all those feelings. Exactly. Because when you hold a child for the first time, the only thing in the world that matters is protecting that kid. That's it. Mm -hmm. Like literally the whole rest of the world just fades and it's just that child. So again, why wasn't, I, you know, why weren't we those children to our parents? Why weren't we loved and protected the way I felt? Say that again, the way you were about to say it and then corrected yourself. You went to, why weren't, why wasn't I, why weren't we go back to that? Yeah. Why wasn't I loved and protected? Why didn't me being born change my parents' minds and open their minds to the abuse and the the craziness, why didn't that open their eyes? Why, how were they so far gone that it was okay for their kids to be sexually abused and mentally abused and beaten and locked in sheds for days and starved and put on silence restriction? You know, you weren't allowed to talk or like bars of soap shoved down their mouths. Like, I mean, the most ridiculous stuff paddled until your butt bled. Like what parent allows that to happen? And you know, how I told you there's a lot of like a lot of broken heart moments for me. Yeah. I think that was probably the biggest. I'm also very good at kind of compartmentalizing. Right. And this is why I, I mm -hmm. want to start <laughs> opening those boxes, but exactly. I am very good at saying, okay, that's going to really make me sad and upset. So locked, put it away. And I don't think about it. And we move on. But there are very clear moments where that heartbreak was very real. But the moment I held my son, mm -hmm. it was like, 
the biggest moment of heartbreak and anger and almost disgust. I know that's a super harsh word. Is it though? <laughs> For one thing, I don't think any of the words you're going to use right now are going to be too harsh at all. Because what you experienced, that was too harsh. And the sensation you're, you're describing to me, I'm holding my baby and I have this overwhelming sensation of my only duty on the face of the earth is to protect my child. So you now have context. Exactly. And the thought is, I was not protected. Yep. Even though you went to, why was I not protected? How could they do this? How? We can intellectually answer those questions. If we don't frame it as a question and just say, I was not protected. And I felt as though I had come to terms with that and just kind of accepted my parents mm -hmm. screwed up big time. I'll deal with it when I have the mental capacity to just this, this almost uncontrollable need for recompense, you know, like yeah. I wanted them to understand because I had a new understanding. So I always felt heartbroken. I felt discarded, abandoned, but the intensity of a feeling that a new mother has, well, any mother has for any child, but especially your first child. I finally understood why my older sisters and brothers had over the years been so harsh and so confrontational with my parents. I would always be like, you know what? They're idiots. Don't let it ruin your life. But I had no context for what they were feeling because they already experienced what I finally experienced when I held my child. Yes, we have context for this now. You're seeing your siblings. You're seeing your parents. And the amazing strength and resilience and ability to compartmentalize helped you survive. As we look at those compartments and what the function of that was and what your childhood was, it's not about your parents and, and what they did. It's not about the cult and what they did. That's also true. It's an and, not a but. That's also true. And your experience, you found a way to survive. You had to compartmentalize. You had to take care of everybody else. And at the core could be that feeling that you had when you first held your child. Absolutely. I was not protected. No, that's exactly right. That's exactly how it felt. I didn't know what it was exactly. I just knew it, it broke my heart or it made me feel sad or discarded. But once I had context, yeah. it like took on a life of its own. And that was a completely different experience. And actually one of the first moments where I was like, okay, I don't know if I can lock this one away. Mm -hmm. I may, if not with my parents, have to get this out somehow. <laughs> it was pretty intense. I, I did, I think, end up locking it away in the end. For a while, a number of years later, I finally did have it out with my mother. I wasn't speaking to my stepdad for a long time because I was never, I never liked him. He was not a good man. Right. Like my father 
Sure, he made some weird decisions, but really he joined a cult and he became their accountant. I mean, I'm not trying to wash him of responsibility or the blood off of his hands at all, but he wasn't actively involved in abusing children, not just doing it, but telling other people to do it like my stepfather was. So to me, you're either a good person or you're a bad person. And I know that sounds like a generalization, but here's what I mean. If you're a good person, sure, you're going to make bad decisions and do dumb stuff, but you're not going to hurt or intentionally inflict pain, especially on a helpless child. Like that, to me, there's no in between. Just because someone told you, to me, you have to be one or the other. Hmm. And I could be wrong, but to me, that's how I felt. And I felt that very strongly until I met a woman who abused my younger sister all the time because she was told to. So in the cult, her job and her training and her whatever was beat children, wash their mouths out with soap, stick them in hot containers, starve them, etc. That was her training. Have you ever seen that um, Handmaid's Tale show? Yeah. So that kind of environment, everyone who participates except the leaders are doing it because they are terrified of what would happen if they did not. Same idea in a cult, right? If you don't do this, guess what's going to happen to you? Mm. So once you're there at that age or that level of responsibility, you have no choice. That's it. You either do what you've been told to do and you've had it done to you your whole life. So you're very good at it, Mm -hmm. right? Or you get the same, if not worse punishment to get you back on track. Right. But at the time, I don't think I was mature enough to really separate the two. Right. I met her again years and years and years later, and she was just obviously first thing she said, burst into tears, just told us like, I've been in therapy for years and and I, I can't believe that I did these things. I can't believe that I thought that that was what I was supposed to do. And I just, I'm so sorry. It's maybe a conflict for me. I want to forgive, but some things I feel like don't deserve to be forgiven. There's a lot here, really. There's a lot that you experienced. Oh, yeah. Recompense is a great word. I love that you use that word because it really is like this woman is probably trying to make amends and there's just no way to. You can't erase what you've done and you. No. maybe you can have understanding. Maybe you can have compassion. Maybe she can have compassion for herself. Okay. And it might explain some of what she did or why she did it, but it doesn't excuse it. It still happened. Right. There's a, a joke where these two social workers are crossing the street and they see this woman that's obviously been battered and beaten and left in the gutter. And one of them turns to the other and says, wow, the guy that did that to her really needs our help. Absolutely. To me, it's not necessarily funny because it's not, but it's very telling that, oh, right, that woman really needs our help. Well, no, they're saying the person that did that to her really needs our help which is true, you know, and both might be true. Absolutely. 
it's looking at, you know, this woman that, that you met years later, she's been in therapy. She's been working on this. Yes, she really needs the help. And there's still somebody battered in a gutter. Yeah, exactly. And that in this context is you. Mm-hmm. And there's a version of you that's been battered and left in a gutter. And you just kind of went, nope, I got to keep going. Got to do this. Got to be mama bear. That's what you do to keep going and to move forward. And you need to. Yeah. I think we also need to recognize that there's a version of you that's been battered and in a gutter. Isn't going to stay there, but we need to just recognize that. Yes. And have compassion for that. She's never been recognized. Yes, for sure. So I told you I finally had it out with my mom. Yes. And I do love my mom a lot. Like I really do genuinely love my mother. Hmm. My, my anger towards her is to do with her stupidity and or chosen blindness. You know, like she chose to not see what was happening because she believed in this commitment she had made when she was a teenager. She chose not to protect me? Yes, exactly. And my mother is the poster child for cult outreach. Like if you were in a cult and you were like, okay, we need 10 new members today, you would look for my mother, okay? But I did confront her. She just cried and cried and cried. And when she cries, I I, I don't really, <laughs> I just want to, it's okay, mom, stop crying. Okay. You know, like. Right. Taking care of people again. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Finally, about a year ago, I get a random call from my stepdad and he's like, you know, are you alone? Do you have a moment to talk? And he just totally broke down but not only did he break down and apologize, he took personal responsibility. Really? And that actually impressed me more, or it made more of an impression on me toward the path of forgiveness mm. than just a straight, oh yeah, I fucked up. You know, I'm sorry. Never in a million years would I have guessed I would have ever had that from him. Yeah. He was very sincere For me, there's an apology and then there's a, you know what? I understand. I Mm. own what I did, how I hurt people. And now, you know, kind of like an alcoholic when they go through their steps, you know, they need to go and talk to the people who they hurt or that they literally make amends. Yeah. But they have to make specific amends, right? For specific instances to specific people. People can go through the 12 steps and just check them off. That's not really embodying what it is. Correct. To actually do it in a heartfelt way and mean it, and as you were describing, taking responsibility for it. Yes. That means something. And that's, especially with your stepdad, I've said this before, forgiveness is not a line you cross, it's a path you take. And I think that's I like pretty that. accurate. Yeah. And I think that's that's pretty accurate. And I want to actually sidestep that for a second to come back to your experience. You're talking about your mom. Okay. Talking about your stepdad. I'm interested in the story of you. What we're talking about, I think is a very powerful moment that you had as a new mother holding your child, 
recognizing there's nothing more important than protecting this child that is my child. You didn't have that experience. You were not protected as a child. Not only were you not protected, you were repeatedly abused as a child. And before you went to the place of protecting your siblings, trying to realizing something was wrong, there there was an experience that I don't know, you certainly couldn't really allow yourself to have back then. So we don't need to relive it right now, but recognizing on some level, I'm a child not being protected. That's literally something I have never done. I've never allowed myself to do that because I feel that it might interfere with, for me personally, mentally, there's a line. If I cross, I feel it will be like opening the floodgates Mm -hmm. in a protected environment with someone like you who can sort of walk me through it. I hope that we can address that child and we can talk about that. But you're right. I never have. It's never been actually breaking down how I felt. A lot of it is very much locked away. Mm -hmm. For good reason. You know, I I, want to stress that you found a way to cope and a way to get through it. Gosh, it reminds me of, I think that movie was called Life is Beautiful, uh, Roberto Benigni. Okay. Right. And it was uh, about being in the concentration camps and he had, uh, you know, his, his kid there and he was goofing off and making his kid laugh and, and doing all these things to have it be an experience that his child could actually find some joy in. I mean, it was heartbreaking and beautiful. He wanted to show his yeah. kid that life is beautiful. Yep. And that's what I've tried to do with all my siblings. Who did that for you? Nobody. I did that for you. Here's where simultaneously the strength, I mean, amazing that your life is beautiful. You've made it beautiful in helping others, in helping yourself, in service. Wonderful and beautiful. And that's where I see almost like an image of a glass jar that Mm -hmm. if I tap too hard, all that I've worked for and all that I really do believe at my core will just be like, I don't want to have that pain. Right. So, I mean, I know ignoring anything is never (laughs) the right idea. Well, and and that's why you're talking to me. It's also a journey and a path we take, not a line we cross. Mm -hmm. It's not a floodgate that's going to open and come rushing and overwhelm you. It's not a delicate glass jar that's going to crack. It is your life. Yeah. And your emotional experience of your life, that has been compartmentalized. Mm -hmm. Okay, I have to ask you something. Stepdad was a bad person, but I have such conflicting feelings about that. And I feel like it's hard for me to even explain because there's him now mm-hmm. as an old sweet man who's trying to make amends and and be his best self and then there's this ugly honestly in my mind demon of a human who just terrorized us for years and it's so hard for me to reconcile those two things i guess i'm asking you like if that's a normal feeling to be having 
with the confliction. There's this part where I, you know, never want to talk to him again. I never want to see him again. I hope he dies of dysentery. And then there's this part, which is grandpa. Mm -hmm. It's difficult. Same feelings, but on a much smaller scale with my mother, because there was no abuse, really. I mean, no, scratch that. There was. <laughs> there was enabling and there was there was a lack of protection. Yeah. I'll answer you in two ways. One is, if you've heard me mention this before, the snapshots, the Polaroids of who we are, right? That there's a Polaroid of, of who he was then. Mm-hmm. There's a Polaroid of who he is now. Those are two different snapshots. Picture the, the, the mop top Beatles in the early 60s coming up, right? Wearing yeah. the same suit, same haircut, right? Now picture like Sergeant Pepper, Abbey Road Beatles. They all look different. They're doing weird things. Take those two snapshots and look at them. They're very, very different. Yeah. We have the benefit of seeing the Beatles all through every little step they've made all their albums, all their different incarnations. So we've seen them over time. You may or may not have seen your stepdad evolve over time. You certainly did not get to see his process of coming to terms with any of this stuff. No, I didn't. Right. So to you, your stepdad, I'm simplifying it here, is two snapshots. Like basically in my mind, two different people. Yes. Is that normal? Yes. Oh, because okay. the, the, the version of him, that Polaroid that we want to get dysentery, that snapshot is gone. It's just a snapshot. Mm-hmm. There's a new one now. It doesn't mean we're okay with the old one. And I don't even know if I ever will be okay with it. Like I, I literally feel like I can't. There's things that I truly believe on in one part of my self, maybe my child self are unforgivable. Mm-hmm. And then there's the adult self that thinks I've obviously never abused anyone or joined a cult or done anything ridiculous, but I've made mistakes. I've done things and I've been sorry and I've made it better and I received forgiveness. Right. So where is the you know, I didn't instantly just go, oh, no problem, Paul, you're totally forgiven. It's like nothing ever happened. It's about, as you said, taking responsibility. Mm-hmm. That was a good first step, 100%. Absolutely. 100%. It will never, never make that initial Polaroid okay. Mm-hmm. Never. It will make the Polaroid of him now okay. And it does. It it really did help a lot. Since then, I've allowed him to come to my house while my children were around. Before, I wouldn't have him in the house if my children were here. And I'm sure that was a relationship based off of fear. But hey, that was all I knew, right? That was all I knew of him. That's definitely changed. There's still a mark. There's still an impression. And there is fear and sort of trepidation surrounding that impression. So like, even though, as you say, the new Polaroid is here, there's still a tiny part of my mind that has, you know, concern. Sure. I mean, at this point, I'm sure that he wouldn't, 
ever do anything untoward to my children. But should there ever be a point where I make peace? I don't even know what the right word is. Make peace, sure, but be okay leaving him alone with my kids? Maybe not. Maybe he's he, because of that first Polaroid, he doesn't have that, I don't want to say rights, that privilege. Those are the rules. Yep. And that's okay. We can pick it up next session because this is actually a big thing for me. And I think it might help me with reconciling a lot of the bad stuff that happened to me as a child. You will have an intellectual understanding and you will have an emotional understanding. Okay. And an emotional experience of something. You and I are going to walk through safely some of those feelings. So we don't just understand how this happened, why this happened, who did this, how could they do this. We actually get to understand what was happening for me and what I was experiencing, not through my siblings, but through me, not through my mom, not through my stepdad, but through me. Fair enough. And it's not the jar that's going to crack. It's not the floodgate that's going to open. It will open some stuff up, Mm -hmm. but I think we need to walk through that. I mean, it already has, honestly, it already has. Yeah. Which is good. That's exactly what I wanted. You found a way and you learned a way to survive. It was Mm -hmm. absolutely necessary and it's become a great strength of yours. We will also look at that scared kid, that frustrated and shocked kid and young adult, because they're, they're all you. Yep. Absolutely. And we are back. We sure are. Break it down. What you got for me? Okay. First of all, she started off with talking about how she was close with her siblings and how she was the peacemaker. And then she just says, yeah, I think they felt bad for me. They were like the good looking and popular ones. And I was the one that was like shoved in a locker. And I was like, oh my. <laughs> and there was this pause. And I don't know if, if you guys, like you clip something out of it and there was a pause Or I don't know, in my mind, you were like, what the fuck do I say to that? Like, I know what I would, I would be like, wow, that is horrible. I'm sorry that happened or something. But there was just, it just was so unexpected for me to hear her say that. It just, I don't know. I don't know why I just was like, oh. Yeah. And, and I don't remember if there was a pause or not. I remember I'm looking for a, a, a frame on that. Like, like what's, what's the frame of reference right here? Because I, I don't understand and I don't know. I have what I think of when I think of kids getting shoved in lockers. Right. And what that looks like and whether it's what you've seen on TV or the movies or what you've experienced in real life. But she grew up in the cult and I didn't know what school looked yeah. like for her. So right. yeah, the first thing that just came out was like, well, wait a second. Were you in a regular school? What did school even look like? Right. Was it the cult school and they, and it was her siblings and, or friends or, or people in, in that world that, that did that? I don't know. So you asked her and she said they didn't have regular school. They had like a correspondence type school. Right. 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 Oh man. <laughs> Yeah, that was that was wild that she said, and they were super cheap. So like last year's books they were erase. our books, and yeah. when we finished, we had to erase. Oh, that was wild. Wild. I guess a lot of what they were teaching was just straight up fucking lies. She said, I guess David Berg, uh, the leader of the cult, was super racist, and 
literally made things up about the world and religion and how things happened and the way things were. And right. that's just mind blowing. And then obviously the whole thing's mind blowing, but just to be like, okay, I'm going to rewrite history. I mean, if you think about it, it's not uncommon where a lot of schools and a lot of towns will censor certain books. They won't let certain things be taught in schools. We can even jump into this one. I don't think we're going to go there necessarily, but the whole idea of teaching evolution in school. I mean, there's great debate about that still, which is wild. Yeah, totally. I mean, and I think, and and it is interesting, the things that are now also being, I don't know if the word is censored from schools and education, but removed due to potential or actual lack of reality. I don't know what you call it, but (laughs) all sorts of books and movies and yeah, and, and and knowing that this is part of, of history, not necessarily your history or our history, but it's part of history, and to be able to recognize that. I mean, there are people, look, we're both Jewish, and there are people that still, in some places, think that the Holocaust was a hoax, Yeah, which is wild. And it's been eradicated from a lot of uh, yeah, history yeah. books and places where they teach things. And it's, yeah. it's wild. People can do that. And in a cult where it is smaller and much more, I think, insidious and, and overtly malevolent. You know, I think she has used the word malevolent a few times. It's a great word. And it, it's something, yeah, where they actually do intentionally try to brainwash you and get yeah. you to think their way of thinking and not think for yourself, which to me shines light on why when she said she ran away and she's just like was reading voraciously and trying to get all the information she could. And and it was, it's that sort of mind blown moment that you have when you realize, Oh my gosh, wait, the earth is not flat. I'm not going to fall off the end of it. It's round. Oh my God, there's a whole world out there and you want to just soak it all in and get it all right. Yeah. And you know, she did say that that's a part for anybody that she knows or that left the cold is that, huge amount of confusion as soon as you leave. And she talked about Mm. the murder suicide of the son of the cult leaders and also a lot of other suicides, including people in her family. And I don't know, she said over half of the people that left probably committed suicide. And she said at that point, her life was, has been laced with so much tragedy. And I was like, fuck yeah, it has. It's, I mean, to me speaks of her resilience and also, and she even mentioned this too, like compartmentalizing, like she had to do that. And that was, I think, an incredible survival mechanism for her. Oh, yeah. That, Like you said, that massive confusion. It was pretty, I think, incredible for her to focus on herself and, and learning and not focusing on the unraveling or what she thought was real and isn't now. And, you know, and it became a quest for knowledge, not a quest for justice. Right. It was something that I thought really speaks again to her character that she was looking at how does she better herself? Not how does she like get even with her parents for being, as she said, so stupid and and letting this happen. right? Right. Yeah. And she, she did say that like, how could anybody be that stupid? She obviously was able to also say, well, yeah, you get brainwashed in a cult. But at some point she said, well, she talked about her mom being, you know, like a good woman and not an abuser, even though she did turn a blind eye 
And then she said that her mom was the poster child for cult outreach. She's like, right. You needed a few cult members. My mom would get them together like that. I was like, Oh God. Yeah. One of the things she really touched on was as soon as she became a mom, she was like, like just huge amounts of rage and sadness hit her because she was like, what? And it was something for her that, that she noticed it actually tangibly happened to her where she held her child and just thought nothing else matters, but this child, right? Of course, I'm going to protect this child. And I tried to go to the emotional piece of, yes, that's you. And that's your strength. That's great. What about you as the child Yeah, not being protected? Yeah. And it's, and we scratched that a little bit, that idea of like that poster child for cult outreach. It's, I don't think you recognize what it is at first. I don't think people go, oh, hey, I'm going to go join this cult. That sounds like right. a great idea. Right. It's, wow, here are people who see me and understand me and celebrate me. And, and I feel a sense of community with them. We're all looking for a sense of belonging. We're all looking for totally. some place where things make sense. And a lot of cults, not all of them, and I'm not an authority on this, but they will give you some of what it is you're looking for. And they will yeah. gradually get your trust and, and build you in. And I see, you know, to some degree why people are skeptical of things like 12-step programs or therapy, because they think, oh, you're going to change how I think. You're going to change how I do things. And I need to follow your way of doing things. Right. You know, there's some people just go, yeah, no, like, yeah, let me let go. You got, you take the wheel, go ahead. And I think that can be great at times, but it is the thing of who are you trusting with that? Right. Which is why I keep saying with her in different places, like being able to let go has not been safe. Yeah. And we need to learn how to do that. Cause it's, you reach a point in your life where she said, I'm a happy person. I'm a happy soul. And there are happy things going on all around her, but she doesn't feel happy. She right. feels anxious. Yeah. And at some point she mentioned the word, she was saying like, such mm. disgust. And she's like, that's such a harsh word. You're like, I don't think any word you could use is harsh enough. Yeah. I was like, mm. right. I mean, and she reminds me of me a little bit in the way that she'll say something and then she'll say, well, that's my opinion. Or she'll say, and also like seeing both sides right. of it or, and yes, at some point, because there's so much the, the dialectic of it all, she talked about good and bad people, how people are there's good and bad, but that the good people won't intentionally hurt or inflict pain on other people, right. especially innocent children. And at the same time, then she reconnected with this woman years later who used to abuse her, one of her little sisters. And, right. you know, she likened it to the handmaid's tale where it's the people besides the main people are doing a lot of what they're doing because they're afraid for their lives if they don't. So right. who are they? Are they the good people or the bad people? And that's hard. Oh, it, it's so hard. And she used a word that I thought was so incredibly fitting and, and really just like the perfect word, especially as she was talking about all the heartbreak and anger that she felt, which she'll, she'll mention several times. She says like, oh, just the heartbreak. And then she, she talked about recompense. And that's such a great word for it. It is, except for I'm not going to lie. I don't know what that means. And I was going to, I debated for a while. Do I say that or do I not? I always tell people like almost always, I don't know what it means. And I was going to look it up. And then I thought, should I look it up and pretend not mention anything? <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I love that, Mary. 
people will need to know. And I'm, I'm going to, wow, I'm, I'm going to go deep on this one for a second. Okay. Okay. There is something I think very freeing about not pretending like you knew something. Right. And just saying, oh, wait, recompense. Is that a great word? I don't know. What does that mean? And then I'll define it for you. And, and I, I will define it. it. It means to make amends to someone for a harm or a loss that they've suffered. The idea of shining a light on something and understanding something. Well, I remember when I was looking at Scientology, when I was studying religion at UCLA, and we were mm-hmm. looking at is Scientology a religion or a cult? And we, we looked at it and we had to look at all these different things about it. I will say that there are aspects of it that are like most cults start out and at some levels really helpful to some people. A lot of things start out as self-help or they teach self-help and then they pull you in. And one of the things I remember about even Scientology was one of their books I remember looking at had a glossary and it said, if you don't understand any word in this book, stop and look it up. You need to understand everything. So you can understand everything that really struck me like, Oh, that that's pretty cool. I like how they do that. And you can like pieces of something without liking the whole overall. I am totally. not a supporter of Scientology. Right. I do like that. They had that piece to it. Understand everything that you're talking about. Yeah. So recompense, she connected with her stepdad who she had said is not a good person. Yeah. And connecting with him, she was really conflicted. And she even said like, hey, I, I have a conflict here. Like I, I, I want to forgive, but some things I feel like don't deserve to be forgiven. Right. It was really struggling with that idea of, well, here's somebody making amends. And even, you know, this people in the 12 step program that, what is it? Step nine, that's make amends, mm. right? Mm-hmm. Eight or nine, like somewhere six, around there. Nine, <laughs> something like that. And it's, it's just because somebody's making amends doesn't mean somebody else has to go, oh, you're making amends for having caused harm to me? Cool, you're off the hook. They might not. Yeah, she did say she wants to forgive him and, and some things can't be forgiven. And both are true. And you can go back and forth. You can forgive somebody and then a week later, a minute later, three years later, be like, nope, actually changed my mind. I can't. And you can go back and forth. Right. That's fine. There's no rule to how to forgive somebody. It's not like you can't take it back. You sure can. <laughs> right. Right. And then she said, you know, I do want to forgive him and I want him to die of dysentery. I loved that. <laughs> Just like, yeah. And, and I thought about like the, the dialectic. It can be both. You can have both of those things. Yeah. It is really hard. I do think that some people do deserve to have another chance and to try things. It doesn't make anything okay that they did. Right. And there might be lines that, that are crossed that are just not okay. You don't get a second chance for certain things. Yeah. It's so interesting too, because as she was saying that, I started thinking about my own life and I thought, there's only one and a half people in this world that I absolutely despise. And oh. yeah, one is my aunt. I don't care. I hope you're listening to this. She. (laughs) That's amazing. I have no desire to forgive her. I have no desire except for like, I like, I like my cousins, but if she dies, she can burn in hell. Like I literally don't care, but I don't feel like that about murderers. Like, you know what I mean? But for her and I don't hold it in me. It's not something that weighs on me heavily. I can just, sure. It's fine though. I don't, I don't want to forgive her. But she's never in my life. She's not in my life. So I think that is the big difference is like for Sarah, she, her stepdad comes around now or she's allowed him into her life. So 
I don't know. And he called her. And not only did he apologize, she said even more important than that is he took responsibility. And right. so I think right. just the fact that, that he took responsibility and was like breaking down about it, that made a big difference to her. And I think you said, which I don't necessarily understand the path to forgiveness. It's not a line you cross. It's a path you take. Do you mean like forgiveness is not just like, here's forgiveness. You take one step over this line and you're forgiven. Like I didn't, Correct. I was like, what the fuck does, okay. Correct. Correct. And that it's something like, cool. I just said three Hail Marys. So, okay, I'm good. Oh, but that is true in some situations, right? You get forgiveness. In some situations, but it's, it's, I think what really makes it lasting and what makes it true forgiveness is that you don't just go out and do the same thing right after that. Yeah. You didn't just like, Oh, cool. I, I crossed that forgiveness line. Now I'm cool. You, you know, when we used to work with, with the kids down in South LA, I think we would try to let the parents know, look, you need to start each day over like a, a brand new fresh start. Cause if a kid's right. waking up or teenager kid, anything is waking up and thinking I've already got two strikes against me. Well, fuck it. Right. Then I don't care. Totally. Right? What's the point? Yeah. But if I start out like no strikes, I'm good. Then they've got a chance. Yep. So I, I do agree in that sense, but it's all kind of relative. And we're talking about forgiveness for, in this case, somebody who has inflicted harm or suffering to someone else. Yeah. And she was saying, it was almost like she felt like, not ashamed, but maybe unwarranted that she didn't want her stepdad to be around her kids or even alone with them. And I'm like, in my mind, I'm like, no, no. That's fine. Also, she's like, he would never do anything anymore. Mm, maybe 99.9% chance, right? Right. That he wouldn't hurt her kids. But like, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe that's one of the consequences of your actions. You're forgiven. You can be around them, but you can't be by yourself around them. Right. Part of what I, what I hit towards the end of, of the session with her was, look, that idea of like looking at somebody differently and seeing that they've, they've evolved or that they've changed is great. It doesn't take away that there was an impression on you and an impact into your life. And right. she can, as we talked about it, pursue this intellectually in the same way that she came out of the cult and got into the library and was trying to understand things and pursue that. Right. But I really wanted to hit for her. There's something emotional about your experience too. And the emotion was holding my child and feeling this for my child. Right. As a child myself, how did my mom not feel this towards me? Yeah. How did this not happen for me? Yeah. And she was saying she's never allowed herself to acknowledge that she was a child that wasn't protected because right. she just didn't want to open the floodgates. And, right. and then you talked about life is beautiful and how she really, no one ever gave her that chance to see that. What happened was she became, as she said, the mama bear, and she did that for siblings. Right. So she became the one showing that there is beauty here. This is how we do it. This is, this is how we can get through it. And that's what helped her get through it. Right. And she said before, when, you know, when I've said several times to her in different sessions, like, well, who did that for you? Goes, I did. Yeah. That goes to that trust and that letting go. And, and can we ever do that? Nope. I, I got to be the one doing it. And that's something that we'll scratch at. It'll take a while. It's not going to yeah. happen overnight. That's not going to be the line that we cross. It's going to be a path we take, not just the forgiveness, but the healing. Right. 
in order to really trust and let go and let somebody take over so I can just have that exhale, which we've talked about in previous sessions. It's not safe and I don't do that. I'm the one that keeps it all together and handles everything so everybody else can be okay. Yeah. And she was asking you, is it normal to have these conflicting feelings about her stepdad? And I loved the, of course, the analogy you gave about the Beatles, right? And I was like, oh yeah, that's so true. There aren't, because it's not, when I think about Led Zeppelin, for example, they've been fairly the same all along. But the Beatles were so different. But like you said, we got to see that all along, not just two different snapshots. Right. And that's that, that whole progress and that whole journey that people take. And you can be both. That's why somebody who's done some, who's made some mistakes in their life can actually have learned from that and be a really generous person going forward. Her stepdad might turn out to be in, in his late life, a very generous, loving person. He certainly did not start out that way. Right. And it's up to her if she wants to forgive him or not, or go back and forth or whatever she wants. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's something for her that I hope we get to unfold as we go. Yeah. Is she was somebody who was so contained, so controlled, so compartmentalized for so long. Maybe she will be a future Polaroid where she's relaxed and can let go and and slow down and and right. And really just be. I'm excited to see how it plays out. Indeed. You can come on back next week and you will find out. Well, not next week. I mean, you'll find out week after week. Little by little. Six months. You'll really see. Okay. (laughs) Perfect. And then also we have a, what's it called up? Our Patreon up, right? If it's not up right now, it will be up this weekend. It is going up. It is happening. Yes. So all of you that, that miss Drew, Drew's coming at you. I think we're going to throw on like a full month of Drew to start out. So anybody that jumps on to the Patreon, anybody that joins the Patreon will get full month off the bat. Then we'll go week to week. And uh, the first couple, you didn't do the breakdowns with me. We had guests come on and break them down, but we're in our rhythm. We're we're breaking Drew down all over again. We are. So exciting. Love you, Drew. And there's some cool merch. The store isn't quite up yet. It's almost, it's almost Almost. up, but there is some stuff uh, on the Patreon. So if you join one of those tiers... Pull the damn trigger, Doug. I'm getting close. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) All right. Stick around. Don't stick around because we're done. But we will um, talk at you next week. (laughs) Bye. Bye.